Welcome back to uh, Compliance Byte for another exciting episode of our uh, quest to understand more about the compliance industry and what's available out there. I'm the CEO of Lavin and really happy to be welcoming today Pierre Mendelssohn. He's the CEO and founder of Alpima. Um, he's had two decades in the industry in financial services, including stints at Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch. The firm that he's set up is really interesting, servicing large institutions globally and literally all around the investment management industry. So very happy to welcome you, Pierre. Thank you for being with us. Well, thank you very much for having me. So we're going to dig a little bit about um, the aspects of the industry that you've uncovered and that led you to set up Alpima. In particular, I want to ask you, what did you see in the market that led you to, to jump into the entrepreneurial world? And what did you want to do that might benefit investors or what compliance aims were um, behind your, uh, your startup, which is now well established? Sure. No, very good question. Um, well, luckily, I worked in, in great firms and I saw how we were serving clients uh, over a number of years from the mid 90s to the mid 20 teens. And what struck me is that the technology we were using to serve clients, to create solutions, to visualize them, to deploy them, really hadn't changed very much from the mid 90s to 20. 2011, 2014. Uh, so that's one observation that struck me. Uh, clients were being served using the same technology when outside of finance, technology was being uh, was acting to revolutionize our lives. Uh, the second thing that uh, also struck me is that a huge amount of investing went into technology for the back and middle office, but very little went into the front office. Um, and yet, uh, in a world that was uh, increasingly digital, that struck me as being a little bit of an oddity. And then lastly, as an investor, um, I felt that um, I was not getting from the industry key information uh, that I wanted to know about my own portfolio. For example, what would happen if uh, the price of oil went down massively? What would happen if rates went up and so forth? And so I felt that there is something going on in information not going out all the way to the end investor. Um, and I traced that back to the fact that we've been using the same technology to create solutions and to show information. So I figured what we need to do is to create a platform focused on the front office to allow um, customers to be better served, to better visualize the solutions that are being proposed, and to benefit from all the incredible progress that has happened in technology across uh, the spectrum from cloud to quant to front end. So that's really, so that's what I, I saw. And for me, to your point about compliance, I think anything to do with increasing transparency, increasing the understanding uh, that investors have about their investors is helpful for investors and it's helpful for compliance purposes as well. So that's really what drove me to, to create the company. Did you find that there's, because you mentioned there were developments in back office, middle office, clearly we've seen that too. Um, the only thing I can relate to in relation to front office is probably risk management systems, which for years were on Excel only, uh, even in very large institutions. That has improved in the last, let's say, decade or seven years. Did you find that there was a, an inherent inertia on the front office side to change methods? I think what happens is that the tools that were being used were candidly very effective for many years. So with an Excel spreadsheet, a market feed, a market vendor like a Bloomberg or uh, a Repetitive, and a um, and an editor like a Word document or a PowerPoint, you could actually do good work. You could come up with a really good compelling pitch, and that was the standard for many years. Um, but all of a sudden. Uh, 
we started to observe that technology could make a massive difference and the cloud came in, which all of a sudden meant you had access to vast amounts of compute, vast amounts of storage without having uh, resources on premise. And that changed the deal. At the same time, what happened is that you've got new languages that, that came up or languages that became more popular, one of which is Python, which we're using at that Pima uh, as the core of our, of our quant engine, which really changed the, the game as well in, in how easy one can come up with solutions uh, and, and deploy them. And then lastly, lastly, the, the last thing that's happened is there's been a huge amount of progress in front-end technologies, uh, the way in which you visualize. Um, and so all these things combined uh, meant that if you look at the old toolkit, it really became a bit stale. Um, and we saw the potential in putting all these together into a single platform that we offer as a SaaS uh, service, so you don't need to have any installed or anything. And all of a sudden, that changes completely the way in which you approach creating a solution, um, displaying it, and deploying it. it. It totally changes the game. I don't want to make a parallel with uh, Coinbase because obviously we saw that they, you know, they created a marketplace for for coins, and it's been said that why didn't large banks do that too. And there's a big argument that large banks um, can't adapt to new technology very uh, easily, in part because there's a sh risk to it and, and people wouldn't want them to have a problem, in part because perhaps there is a slow period of adaptation to anything that's new, or in part because maybe they find that the technology isn't as scalable or as secure as what they've been using so far. So it takes new players new entrants, you know, like Coinbase, like Alpima, not in the same space, but to really move things or to move things from the outside. Would you agree with that? Or do you think there's more responsibility in the investment management industry to to actually, they could have done better or could have done more? Well, I think it's, it's really hard to say, but there are reasons why the legacy took so long to change, one of which is that the industry went from crisis to crisis and the focus was was on risk, it was on compliance, it was on reporting. Uh, so the attention on, on uh, within the industry was really focused on crisis that made the focus be what it was. And the second thing I would say is that um, if you're facing clients at a, uh, at a financial firm, uh, it's not obvious that uh, you can also build technology at the same time. And yet the people that are best positioned to really build the tech to serve clients are those very people that are serving clients. And it's quite hard within the current structure of, an, uh, of a financial firm to do both. Right, in truth. So the building of new tech that faces clients is not an easy thing to do within a large, a large group. Some groups are able to, to achieve um, some good results, but it's, it's fair to say it's a difficult thing to do uh, because it's a rather, uh, it, it requires years of work before you see any results. Um, and from a PL perspective, anybody facing clients will be a lot more focused on bringing PL and bringing new clients rather than invest into the technology required to become competitive in the next five, 10 years. So the incentive structure isn't there necessarily within large firms to, to make people want to build the new tech required to, uh, to, to address the future of the market. Um, the last thing I'd say is that there is also perhaps considerations of inertia within large corporations. Creating a, a group outside of a, of a large corporate makes you a lot more nimble, a lot faster. Uh, you have a lot of less red tape and you're able to move a lot faster than you would if you were within a, a larger construct. Um, so I think what's interesting now is we're seeing 
large groups taking an interest in partnering with firms like ours because we bring uh, capabilities that we've developed. We've now got about 95 years of uh, man years of um, development and research. But the key to making the cooperation work is to make the, the, the platform uh, very configurable and programmable. In other words, you want to give customers the ability to build on top, to program their intelligence into the platform. Otherwise, it's quite hard to really, uh, to, to really connect into the organization at so, scale. Taking that that um, level, maybe being more granular about the tools, and not necessarily, you know, just focusing on your tools, but the the, I think from discussions I've had with you, one of the key benefits is data, and and once you have data on on stocks, shares, indices, uh, client needs, um, clearly you have an investment advantage. But more than that, you have uh, data accessibility for risk. You have data accessibility for tolerance. You have data accessibility for reporting. We talked about PRIPs at one point, because you were saying, you know, I have this data. It's all there. It's all really easily available once you're working towards that portfolio uh, construction with that cloud-based huge um, information that's now readily available. Why is it still a struggle for many people to to be transparent about data points? And I'd like to sort of dwell on that a little bit. Do you see that data is actually now across the board more readily available, more readily uh, accessible for manipulation, not in, in the right sense, you know, for uh, assessment and usage? And I've been, you know, looking at the industry for the last 20 years, thinking it's all a bunch of pipelines and you got your front office, you got your middle office, you got your back end. Some of that goes to compliance, some of that goes to risk, but it's always quite separated. The conversations I've had with you led me to think you can integrate that today, yet I haven't seen a lot of that again in the market. Is that where you are with the granularity that you're talking about? So the first thing about data is that now it's become a central topic at every firm we speak with. It's um, truly become core. Historically, there's a number of providers that would provide an, uh, a particular uh, part of the data to be used in, in the workflow. And the difficulty in showing to clients what really they want to show is often aggregation of that data, putting it into a single place, being able to process it, making sure that you've got a single source. Uh, a golden source of information and distill that in a in a way that is helpful to the client uh, very, very easily. So it sounds easy, but the truth is it takes two things. One is the correct plumbing, to your point. It takes storage of the, uh, of the data in a place where you can easily retrieve it. And then it takes a bit of analytics to turn that data into insights, into plain English, right? So it's that sequence uh, that connects the front to the back, which um, actually is a bit harder than, than uh, it may seem. And to your point about compliance to clients, the truth is um, it's fascinating to me to know that really what clients and compliance want are essentially the same thing. They want more transparency, they want more insights, and they want, of course, a trace of whatever has been happening uh, so they can get back to history and judge uh, what led one to make such a decision and what, what was the impact of that decision. Being able to give that summary in a few lines of uh, English or, or, or code is is not easy if you if you don't have the right technology, right? Uh, and that's partly because you've got um, uh, a fragmented picture coming from people basically buying data from various places uh, and having it more or less organized. So I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing a genuine transformation in that. We're seeing that people are taking data really seriously uh, and technology like ours enabled to connect to essentially any data source. Uh, 
make sure that the right data is being sucked in, processed, cleaned up, and then represented to clients in a manner, you know, where that, that's helpful for whatever they want to see. Uh, so that could be scenario analysis, sensitivities to markets, um, distribution of risk in the portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. So with that now, I guess you're taking it. So let's say that everybody got to those access where, where you know, there was a read, readily uh, live uh, review of data and its implications in those different funnels, the investment, middle, back, risk, compliance that we just mentioned. Does that cause a threat to um, uh, market stability or does it increase the risk of new uh, volatility levels because more people are using that data and maybe now on their smartphone, you know, from whatever uh, larger retail providers that tells them to do this or to move a, to move on a share or, or something like that? Is that a risk that could be deemed uh, perhaps uh, from the systemic risk side, um, something new to be watch out to, to watch out for. I think it's not so much a new risk as it is a, a redistribution of who does what within the industry. What technology is essentially helping is uh, moving the manufacturing closer to the client. Right. So now clients are basically more able to create their own solutions and sending whatever needs to be done to their providers, and then in turn that becomes orders placed into an exchange. Um, what we've seen recently in the retail world with uh, the Robinhood and GameStop story is a whole community of people having mobile access to markets and being able to basically trade and speculate on one or, or a small number of stocks and all of a sudden creating an interesting dynamic between the retail investors who have direct access at scale and institutional investors like hedge funds uh, being surprised by the uh, uptake of, of the of the retail participants. But that doesn't necessarily create volatility every time. What it does is now you, you've got more investors that are connected that have more personalization uh, capabilities at their uh, at their disposal uh, through mobile and web. Um, what I think it does is it basically means that more and more of the actual creation of the solution will be done by end customers at the point of sale, right? So more and more of the, of the manufacturing, whether it be for a portfolio, for a solution around a portfolio, uh, even for an, uh, a protected product, all that manufacturing can have, can can move a lot closer to the client than was the case before, because technology makes it possible to essentially deliver customization at scale. Um, whether that increases volatility, I'm not sure. My view would be that it actually uh, may smooth markets even further. It may make markets more efficient. And to your point about uh, you know some of the other fears we we'd heard about, um, there were fears about the cloud being perhaps less safe or less secure or less scalable than on-premise solutions. And I think now with several years of many companies using the cloud, uh, the realization is uh, starting to, to spread that actually you increase safety, you increase scalability by yeah. uh, using the cloud well, right? So many of the fears that people had before were simply based on an attachment to the way things were done to legacy processes. But it's fair to say the cloud has now sort of become prevalent. And at the very least, either 100% cloud or hybrid solutions are being used at our clients. And they see the benefit of that. They see yeah, that the storage yeah. is actually much better. They see that the redundancy is better. They see they are actually a lot less dependable on one or two key nodes uh, because they've got yeah. now this, uh, you know, this extra safety added by constant saving and so forth. Yeah, we, we certainly saw that uh, too for for Lavan Tech. In that, you know, when we started, we were about 2016. Everybody wanted us to have this the servers in house, and that was the way. Um, 
and clearly now nobody would want to see that. They all want to see it on the cloud. That takes me to to one other point is, um, I suppose fintech is bringing about perhaps two opposite uh, concepts. One is is integration and one is decentralization. And I guess we touched a little bit on this when we were talking about different exchanges popping up uh, through the use of, of, uh, of fintech. And does that mean that, you know, at some point the regulators lose control, this decentralization isn't actually the solution and it is indeed, you know, the opposite to the integration where, you know, there's one place where you can secure a customer safety. Uh, the, the beauty of what we are seeing is that you can do both. So you can give that degree of customization to the endpoint, to the point of sale, and yet monitor exactly what is going on and see the audit trail of exactly what's been going on. Right. So you can actually provide both. You increase the degree of control and visibility. You generate business intelligence of a new kind that wasn't even uh, in existence before. And, and yet you also allow uh, customers to customize more. Um, so to give you a sense of what, what that looks like, for a, a company like ours, we have something called an admin app, Meta it's called, uh, which allows customers to monitor the degree of usage for every portfolio running on the platform. Now you're giving business intelligence of a new kind to management. They see which portfolios are being used, which trends are being actually acted upon, what is going on, they can administer the users better, and they've got a trail of whatever has been going on on the platform. So that kind of information doesn't require a complex search into folders, it's there for anyone to look at. So that means you've got greater visibility, not only at the product level, but at the platform level where you see more about the usage and, and, and the flows on the platform. And and customers at the same time are able to customize more than they were previously when uh, the status quo was, was using spreadsheets uh, and yeah. human beings. So, so that's so also... Me, <laughs> oh, no, sorry. No, I was going to say to me, it's, it's fascinating to know that technology solves two problems uh, from both very uh, different ends. One is to give more information on the actual usage uh, and at the same time giving that extra um, ability to customize which is really what clients want. Clients yeah. want more and more customization and more and more visibility into what they, uh, what they are being offered. Yeah, and in a way, it should work in the regulator's favor because at the end of the day, they want again transparency, access to data, uh, you know, more choice without uh, opaque products being pushed or portfolios being sold on the basis of, uh, I guess, preferential interests. Um, I'm going to bring us towards uh, the end of, of our of our chat. There's a couple of thoughts I, I still wanted to touch on. Um, I was going to ask you, because you're quite visionary in what you've done, uh, what other market gaps do you see that might be closed through fintech? I know we also talked a little bit in the past about ESG, which is very thematic. And I guess that's down to data. And again, you know, what can fintech do at this stage? Um, but perhaps mixing the two, uh, getting your last final points on on where do you see the industry where it could yet evolve does it indeed uh, cover also esg of course i mean i think esg has really become core and you see now most firms we every firm we speak with in fact has some sort of a large esg initiative going on with leadership taking a position on placing esg at the at the front and center of the agenda so it this is now 
happened at a top level and it's being implemented within the firms we, we work with. Um, to your point about data, of course, data is critical to making ESG relevant. People have to understand what is the ESG scores and other scores uh, of a portfolio. They've got to be able to possibly see how that changed over time. So this is going to standardize. And I think we're in this very interesting phase of standardization of the ESG uh, world into, in the end, what's going to be a, uh, hopefully a reasonably uh, manageable number of metrics that people will follow and monitor, very much like credit ratings, which when they appeared were a little bit of a zoo and now have coalesced into a, a manageable number of, of numbers coming from respected providers. Likewise, I think ESG will, will become standard into portfolios, into solutions. Um, and data is absolutely vital for this. You've got to be able to get the data in order to, to, to present uh, uh, relevant yeah. uh, conclusions. But the in terms of where where the industry is going, where the puck is going, I would say we mentioned earlier the retail investing explosion uh, with Robin Hood and so forth. I actually think this is only the beginning. I think there is a much deeper, much larger transformation that is going to happen within investment management. And that is all about shifting the model away from product more towards uh, a service and that doesn't mean to say you no longer have products but you've got to basically make a shift away from product towards service in order to be relevant and, and to compete in the in the digital age so that means you're going to see more and more efforts being deployed in order to allow customers to create their own solutions at the point of sale and that's of course going to include esg it's going to include possibly blockchain more and more whether it be owning blockchain in a portfolio or using tokenization for settlement and transfer of information um, and you're going to see more and more mobile uh, being used in professional lives i think COVID has shown that mobiles are not just something for leisure uh, people have been using their mobile phones to be on team calls and zoom calls and i think now the brain has basically accepted so to speak in most professionals the fact that mobiles can also be professional you can look at your finances on, on, a, on a mobile phone, on an iPad, a lot more than perhaps you did before the crisis. So I think what we are about to see is a genuine transformation. The reason why it's not taking place faster is because it is, it's complicated to execute. It takes a bit of preparation on the one hand, and then it takes time to implement, test, and, and scale. Yeah. But you're going to see these in, in, we're going to see those things happen in the coming years. We are seeing multi-year programs at the clients we work with. We're talking three, five, ten-year programs, right? So it's been decided, and and those initiatives are going to be rolled out. Um, and so to me, this is arguably the most exciting thing going on in investment management. It's a shift towards client centricity, uh, and and using technology in order to focus more on services versus products. That's brilliant. I mean, I completely align myself with your views. It's really exciting what's going on. Um, sometimes it feels a bit slow, but actually there's a there's a huge shift happening under our feet. So this is great. Uh, I hope it will be useful uh, commentary for all of our viewers. And I thank you again very much for your time, Pierre, and um, wishing you fantastic future ahead of uh, you. Thank you so much, Robert. It's a, it's a pleasure to have been with you. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care.